Well, good morning and welcome to TBA. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. My name is Dave Shive, and I am one of the pastors here at TBA, and it's great to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, if you're here for the first time, I want to especially thank you for choosing to join us today. I want to let you know that we have a gift for you, uh, a gift bag just for checking us out. It's out in the lobby at our guest services table. Um, in that bag is some cool stuff and some information about who we are as TBA, so make sure that you stop by and pick that up on your way out before you leave. Also, when you came in, you should have been given a bulletin. Uh, on that bulletin is some announcements about some things that are going on here at CBA, and also on the side of that is a connection card, and that connection card is a way for you to communicate with us, um, not just for the new guests, but for all of you. You can put your prayer requests, you can put comments, questions, any kind of things that you want on that, um, but if you are new, I would ask that you would put at least your email address on there so that we can just send you an email thanking you for being here today, and um, all you have to do is tear that off and put that in one of the offering boxes that are located at the back of the building today. Um, also tonight, we are ha uh, continuing our Life of Christ series. So if you've been a part of that, just because it's the 4th of July weekend, we're not taking the Sunday off. We're still doing that. That's today at 5 o'clock uh, that Ed Diaz is doing. So make sure you come to that. Um, is everybody enjoying their 4th of July weekend? Everybody have a good time? Fireworks, barbecue, you guys did all that kind of stuff, right? Well, as you can see, for us, we've got our red and white Christmas trees and our stars. We are celebrating what is called Christmas in July, and we do this every year. It's become an annual tradition for us, and it's just an opportunity for us to be able to give back to the community and the world around us. And you're going to hear a little bit more about Christmas in July in Vision 15 at the end of the service, so you're going to want to stick around for that. So today, we're going to start a new series. We're starting a series called Intersections. And the idea is that we're going to be looking at what might from the, on the outside be two opposing ideas and see what happens when those two ideas intersect with each other. And today we're going to be talking about how judgment and how grace intersect. Because at first glance, these two ideas may seem contradictory. I mean, how can God be a God of love, grace, and mercy, and at the same time be a God of judgment and wrath? And those two pictures of God, they seem diametrically opposed. Now I can remember as a kid growing up, and I can remember hearing sermons about the wrath of God. And you know the sermons I'm talking about, those fire and brimstone sermons. And I can remember think, hearing those sermons about how God is going to come and he's going to destroy all the sinful people of the world. And he's going to send them to hell where this eternal punishment goes on. And as a kid, I can remember being scared to death of those sermons. Because I grew up in a very legalistic church that was a lot about rules. It was all about rules. And even as a kid, I knew I wasn't following the rules very well. And I can remember lying in my bed many nights praying to God, just going, God, please do not send me to hell. And I had this very distorted view of who God was and what he was about. Nowadays, you hardly hear anybody preach about hell. As a matter of fact, there's a growing trend of what I call um, the love theology that's going around. And it's this theology that God is only a God of love, that there really isn't a judgment anymore. There is no condemnation, that ultimately God would never send anyone to hell for eternal punishment. Love wins out. So the pendulum has swung to the other side. 
And I think that this is a distorted view of who God is as well. And I think it's probably a more dangerous view than the other one. So let's take a look at that today, because the quick answer is that God is both. God is a God of grace and love, but he is also a God of judgment and wrath. And in order to understand how God can be both, we have to explore the concepts of grace and judgment deeper than just the surface. Now when we think of God's judgment, we often think of the God of the Old Testament, a God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, a God who floods the earth and destroys all mankind except for Noah and his family. A God who destroys whole nations at a time. And that often leads to this misconception that God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. That the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. But if you truly study both Testaments, Old and New, you will see that it becomes very evident that God is not different from one Testament to the other. And that God's wrath and his grace are both revealed in both Testaments. For example, throughout the Old Testament, God is declared to be a compassionate and gracious God. Look at Exodus 34. It says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And there are many more throughout the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, Nehemiah, all throughout the Psalms, God is a God of love and patience and mercy in the Old Testament. And it's the same in the New Testament. God's love and grace and mercy is throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians 2, uh, it says, But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God dealing with Israel the same way that a loving father deals with his child. When they willfully sinned against him and began to worship idols, God would punish them. But yet each time he would deliver them once they turned back to him and they repented of their sins. This is much the same way that God deals with us as Christians in the New Testament. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. So see, the pattern is the same. See, God has constantly been revealing himself to us since the very beginning of time. I mean, there are different aspects of God's nature. God's love, his hatred of sin, his discipline, his grace and mercy have been constantly unfolding throughout human history. And they continue to do so. See, he is no different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. God, by his very nature, is immutable meaning he's unchanging. He cannot change. And while we might see one aspect of his nature revealed in certain passages of Scripture more than other aspects, God does not change. God chooses when and how to reveal himself. And at each stage in our human history, he has revealed exactly what we needed to see in order to turn to him. And the same is true of his judgment. Look at Romans chapter 1. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, a better way of saying this is God's wrath is being constantly revealed. 
The Greek word for revealed here is apocalypto, and it's where we get our word apocalypse from. And it has the basic meaning of uncovering, bringing to light, being made known. And just like God's love and grace have been constantly unveiling throughout our time, so has God's wrath been revealed to the fallen man. See, God's first judgment was revealed in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to, to believe the lie of Satan instead of the truth of God. And immediately after, the sentence of death was passed on all of them and their descendants. Even the earth is cursed because of it. See, God's wrath was revealed in the flood when he destroyed the world. It was revealed in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was revealed in the drowning of Pharaoh's army. All throughout Israel's history, you see God's wrath as he punishes his chosen people that refuse to turn to him. And he destroys nations that oppose him. Why? Not because God is vindictive, irrational, not because he's an unjust God, but because God is holy. God is holy and he hates sin. See, God's wrath is not indiscriminately directed towards man, but God's wrath is reserved for and justly directed at sin. Sin is the very antithesis of God's nature. In Psalms 5, it says, Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. God hates sin. And the simple reason that he hates us is because sin separates us from God. Isaiah says this, It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. It was sin that caused Adam and Eve to run away from God and hide among the trees. Sin always brings separation. And the fact that God hates sin means that he hates being separated from us. God hates sin because it blinds us to the truth. It enslaves us. And it will eventually destroy us. Sin lessens our love for God and it dulls our conscience. And his love, God's love, demands restoration. Which in turn demands that we have to be holy. God demands us to be holy. If we want to be with God, there has to be holiness in us. And that's where the problem is. Because we're born into sin. All of us are. And we can't be holy. It's impossible for us. We are innately rebellious, sinful creatures. And if we're left to our own devices, we end up destroying each other and ourselves. Look back at that verse in Romans 1 and what Paul says after it. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile 
in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to be a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So you see, God, because of His amazing love for us, He has to act upon the judgment of sin. Judgment has to be passed on all of us because we're all full of sin. And God would not be a just God if He didn't judge that sin. And I think that's where we get tripped up. Because I think we say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair because I'm not like those things Paul talked about. I'm not a murderer. My heart's not full of evil. And while it may be true that you're not a murderer and you're not heartless or full of envy, we still miss the standard of holiness that God sets. See, we look at fairness from a human perspective, from a human point of view, in that we compare ourselves to others around us. So if we look at this chart of goodness, we can compare ourselves to other people. Now, while you may be a little bit more than me, and Brian Legg may be a little bit more than me, I'm not quite Hitler. I'm not Moses, but man, I'm not Hitler either. And so when I look at that scale, I go, well, I, if I'm not Hitler, then it's all good, right? Because I'm still higher than most people. And that's what we do as humans. We compare ourselves to each other. And we go, well, I'm pretty good compared to others. But when you add God to the equation, this is what it looks like. When you put God on the scale, all of us fall short. And all of us deserve to die. You see, the only fair thing is that God destroys all of us because we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. He has the complete and absolute right to judge us unworthy of His love. He does. And if you can't admit that, if you cannot admit that you are a sinner 
worthy of death, then you have a pride problem and you can't move on to understand the rest of it. You can't understand grace until you understand this. You have to overcome this obstacle and understand the magnitude of God's judgment because I believe the only way for us to understand the depths of God's grace is to understand the magnitude of His judgment. Because when you understand that we deserve to die, that we are all of those things that Paul says, only then are you in a position to see God's amazing love and grace and to see how it's been extended to you and to all of mankind throughout history. See, God has had immense patience with mankind throughout history. He gave people hundreds of years to turn back to him before he poured out his judgment. And he always offers a way for those who will turn back to him. He always offers a way back. God's judgment and grace have always intersected. God gave grace to Noah and his family when his wrath was being poured out on the world in the flood. God gave grace to Lot and his family when God's wrath was being poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. God gave grace to the nation of Israel when his judgment was executed upon the nation of Egypt. See, God has constantly offered grace where judgment was executed. And for me, there's no greater place where judgment and grace intersect than at the cross. This is a picture of God's fury and wrath. And at the same time, the greatest expression of His grace. See, the most violent expression of God's wrath and justice is seen in the crucifixion. If there was anybody who had room to complain that he wasn't being treated fairly, it was Jesus Christ. Because he wasn't guilty of even one sin. He was the only innocent person who has ever lived. And if we're going to get upset or be offended about God's judgment, that something is unjust, then this should be it. Because you see, the crucifixion and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood and all the others is at one and the same time the most just and most gracious act in history. It would have been absolutely diabolical of God to punish Jesus if Jesus had not first taken on all the sin of the world. See, because even though he was innocent to this point, once he took upon himself that concentrated mass of sin, our sin, the world's sin, he became the most repugnant thing that has ever existed on earth. He became an obscene and accursed thing in the sight of God. And God executed his full divine fury and wrath on his own son. Why did he do that? He did it for you and me. He did it for you and me so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be holy in his presence, 
so that we could have a restored relationship with our Creator. This is the perfect picture of judgment and grace. This is where they intersect, here at the cross. That is the depth of His love and His grace. And because what Christ has done for all mankind on the cross, we live in a period of time where God holds back His final wrath and judgment on the earth. Yes, we live under grace. We do. We live under grace. But I'm telling you, and you need to listen to what I'm saying, there is another judgment coming. There is a judgment coming, a judgment like mankind has never seen before. And everybody will have to give an account for it. Look at what Paul says in Romans 2. Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed and he will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. And I personally believe that that day is going to be sooner than later. I believe we live in the very end times. And it's easy for us to be blinded because we live in the cocoon of America's prosperity and wealth. But if you look at the things that are going around in the world, the level of sin, the level of ungodliness, the absolute rejection of God, it makes me think that the earth can't bear it anymore. And God's ready to say enough is enough. How would your life change if you knew that tomorrow was judgment day? I mean, think about that for a minute. What would be different in your life? How would your priorities change? You know, I think we go through life thinking we have all the time in the world and we can take God's grace for granted. But Paul says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Just recently, a co-worker of my wife Ashley lost her husband to a brain aneurysm. They have a three-year-old son. And he's going to grow up without a father. See, they woke up that morning like every other morning. They got ready, had breakfast, and they went off to work like everything was perfectly fine. And then, bam, everything changes. Everything changes. Listen to me. There is no tomorrow. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is no tomorrow. Sometimes I think we're asleep and we need to wake up. We have to wake up, people. 
I'm telling you, this is one of my biggest frustrations as a pastor. Because some of you come here week in and week out, but your lives never change. You're content to stay the way that you are, safe in your comfort zone, confident in the fact that coming every Sunday is all you need to do. I'm telling you, coming here on Sunday isn't what following Christ is about. It's not what it's about. Our lives should be radically changed because we have experienced the amazing, powerful grace of God. No one who encounters Jesus Christ stays the same. No one does. And I would say that if you're not living a life that produces the righteousness of God, then you need to check your heart. You need to look deep in your heart because this is not a game. This isn't a game. It's life and death. And it's for eternity. See, if we understand the magnitude of God's judgment and we know the depths of His grace, then we should live like we know it. Shouldn't we? We should live like we know it. A church our sides who knows and understands what the cost was for Jesus to die in our place should live in a way that transforms the community around us. It shouldn't even be a question. Serving in Highland City shouldn't be a question. Heart to Honduras, no question. Investing in your coworker, your neighbors, your friends, sharing Jesus with them should be at the top of your priority list. A church our size that understands grace should never have a lack of, lack of volunteers in any ministry, especially children's ministry, where they understand the importance of sharing God's love to our children. If we lived in a way that carried the weight, the judgment is near, all the things that we feel like are so important now, all the things that take our resources and time, all the things that take a priority above God, they would be inconsequential. All of our complaints, our excuses, our justifications for living the way that we want to live instead of living the way that God wants us to live would be irrelevant if we believed judgment was here. There is no tomorrow. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And as they come up, I want to ask you two questions. And the first one is this. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior... What are you waiting for? You need to understand how much God loves you. I hope you have heard that today. That He loves you so much, He was willing to send His one and only Son to die in your place. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Believe me, I'm a testimony of that. We're all broken people. And we've all done horrific things. But God still loves us regardless of what we've done. And you can experience God's grace and love by placing your faith in Him today. Paul says this in Romans 3, we are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. <clears throat> for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, 
People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. All you have to do is pray out to God, asking him for forgiveness, and then placing your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for your sins. And then you just follow him every day of your life from this point forward. If you've never made that decision, I am begging you, I'm begging you, let go of whatever holds you back from trusting God. As the band plays in a few minutes, what I want you to do is I want you to come forward and I want you to pray with one of the prayer team or one of the pastors to accept Jesus today, to do it right now. Don't leave this place without knowing where you're going to spend eternity The second question I would ask is this. <coughs> Excuse me. If you are a follower of Christ, does your life show it? Are you taking grace for granted? And if so, what's grown between you and God? Because if you had to stand before Christ tonight and give an account for the grace He has given you, for the sacrifice that He has paid, what would you say to Him? How would you say that you lived your life? Is it 100% sold out? I mean 100% sold out for him. If not, why? What do you need to change to live a radically grace-filled life? I'd ask that you would come forward and pray as well. Recommit your life back to Christ. Pray that God will put a new spirit in you. Pray that God would transform your way of thinking so that you can live in a way that honors his sacrifice. Whatever your need is, feel free to come and pray, either at the stage or with one of us. Today is the day. Today is the day to make it all right because there is no tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do love us so much, that you were willing to send your son to die in our place. God, that your desire to have a relationship with us is so deep that you've paved the way through, a, through, through the sacrifice of Jesus that, I, Lord, I, I honestly, I just, it's hard for me to understand why you love me that much why you would care that much about me, that you would pour your wrath out on your own son. God, I pray that you would speak to every heart today, that no person would leave this place without knowing, without knowing for 100% absolute certainty about where they're going to spend eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray.